Okay, I want to take and have you put your imagination hat on for a minute. What would it be like if you had a book you were reading and it was getting towards the end and you noticed that the last page was missing? Or if you had a beautiful composition and you laid that out and you happened to notice some of the notes are gone. Or if you're driving a car and you happen to reach for the radio and some's pulled the knobs off. Now, perhaps some of you have, have uh, had that experience. Well, imagine that as much like what happens in a church where we have some people doing essential things. Like we have preachers and teachers. We have Jason on the piano. We have the worship team up here. We have people in the nursery. But there are parts still missing at every church, right? Why is that? It's because I think people, there are many people in churches that don't realize their function, don't realize what God's given them as a spiritual gift or as natural abilities. So with that, we are going to turn to Romans chapter 12. We're going to unpack the first three verses. And if you can also imagine, you've got a packed suitcase. And you're undoing it and trying to put things away. But you're unpacking it, carrying things out. So that's what we're going to do. So if you would stand and read with me as we read the first three verses of Romans chapter 12. So I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, who is good and acceptable and perfect, or what is good. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone, among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Our Father and our God, as we look at Romans, as we seek to unpack what you have for us there, as we seek the meanings of things like a living sacrifice, Lord, that you would open our minds and hearts to your leading your Holy Spirit's teaching as we look and see what you have to say in these three verses and beyond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. As we look then at Romans 12, uh, verse 1, it says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, I'm going to throw a lot of Greek at you today. And I, I do this not that I'm trying to teach you Greek or anything, but it is a word to hang things on. And so as we progressively develop that, and you look at that, 
And you will almost notice that in the next page uh, that I have... In the scripture, I have those things. Hopefully, if our, as our uh, PowerPoint comes up, there we go. Ah, and does it show up? Kind of. Okay, so each of the darkened words there are matched up with the Greek down below. So the first word we encounter is paraculo. And that means to exhort, but it also means to call to one side. Or to go to one side. Or it's much like as you get Spencer, who is, you're playing baseball still, right? Is that still going on? Uh, all of you on the, on the uh, church team. And so you have, you have a coach. Someone who leads you, right? So you get, you get Spencer and he's on first base. All right. And he hits, a, he hits a, a line drive in the center field. And so Spencer is going to first base. And whoever's there at first base or the, the, uh, the coach is coaching Spencer. He sees the way it's clear. The guy in the middle field, he, he drops the ball. And so Spencer's is, as he rounds, they, they, they wave him on the second. And so Spencer's looking for someone to wave him on, right? And so he waves him on. What's he doing? He's urging him. He's exhorting him to go on. And so that's what Paul's getting at here. So he says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, the mercies of God uh, is oikterman, and it means to, it's compassions, concerns, but it's also directive. And so God gives individual grace to people to do certain tasks. And we'll get to those in a little bit. But he also gives corporate grace. So the church receives the grace of God to continue functioning as an organism. And we have particular grace. i got to be careful how I use particular here. Uh, I should say specific grace to do to match up with what God, what function God gives us. For example, no doubt as I'm up here speaking, there's somebody praying for me. I, I'm pretty sure there are. Uh, and that, okay, Tom, just get Tom through this. And, and so, uh, there, but there's also the grace of God working in me to help me do this and to help me to teach and to teach accurately and to teach uh, connectively. And so there's grace that's empowering me to do that. So, by the mercies of God, what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, peristami is the Greek word for to present. So, what does that mean? Well, to present, if you, and you have to realize, because it's Paul writing this, that he is Jewish, right? Actually, he's a tribe of Benjamin, so he's Israelite. And so he has all this background of the Old Testament. And so he knows full well the qualifications for a sacrifice, that the animal has to be the best. It can't be, as you read in Malachi, how many of you have done a study of Malachi? Maybe a little bit. Uh, it talks about the warnings of what, how God regards a sacrifice less than adequate. 
And so what does that mean? That means that we do our best and that we have a sacrifice that's acceptable to God and we present that and this word implies someone who goes in front of or in the head of a crowd and presents this sacrifice, this offering. And that time it would have been to the priest. But now it's to God. But it's an open expression of what God's given us. So if we go to the next slide then, uh, we further unpack the second half of Romans. Is that we're talking about... A living sacrifice. A, a zeotherusa, which means something that is continually living. And so with this implication, it our, our sacrifice, our offering to God, our service to him is not punctiliar. It is continual. So we do it. And... At the beginning of my message, I was going to have um, a short video clip, and that ended up not working out very well because the, the coordination would have been too much. But if you, some of you, how many of you have have uh, have seen the movie *Chariots of Fire*? Old classic, right? Do you remember the scene where he's talking to his sister, and he's trying to get her to understand why he's running, and he said, "God made me fast." And when I run, I feel his pleasure. One of my favorite lines in the whole movie, because it resonates with me, and it should resonate with us, is that some of you may be searching, what is, how can I get involved with Christ Fellowship? What would be my function? I don't even know where to begin. And so I'm going to actually give you some ways to explore that. But whatever you do... If you don't feel God's pleasure in doing that thing, in doing that function, whether you have the gift of helps or mercy or teaching or leading, if you don't feel God's pleasure in it, you're probably in the wrong place. You're not using your spiritual gifts correctly because you should feel God. You should feel yourself being used by God and used for his glory. And because of that, it brings us joy. So as we go on then of this living sacrifice, this is holy and acceptable unto God. Holy is the word hagios, and that's one of the rare times in your notes there you've actually got a blank. Hagios means to set apart, to consecrate. I think last week we dealt in that pretty heavily in last week's sermon. In fact, some of you may be getting the suspicion, did you and Pastor Dave coordinate something here? And I had this plan months ago. I had no idea Pastor Dave was going to preach what he preached last week. So it just happened to coordinate and, and come together that way. So, hagios means to set apart. It's consecration for a purpose. Do you remember in the Gospels where there were water pots set out and that they were, they were involved in that miracle where Christ turned the water into wine? And those water pots were what? They were for washing your hands in ceremoniously. But they were holy water pots. Why were they holy? Because they had a certain purpose. And then God transformed that purpose into another purpose, that of serving wedding guests. And so when you explore, you say, well, what is my function at Christ's fellowship? 
Just remember you were built for a purpose. You were built for a certain function. Now, I've seen some of you in out there that have already exercised their spiritual gifts. And I look at and I marvel at that. I marvel that you're so used. And I marvel what how God works through you. And there's some things you, you, some of you folks do I could never do because I'm not gifted that way. And so I, I sit there, I look and I go, wow, look at what God's doing. And it's amazing. At the same time, goes I, I, I just don't feel myself being comfortable doing necessarily what you're doing, but I admire what you're doing and how you're doing it. And so to be wholly acceptable to God then is... And this is always in the back of my mind. Do am I given the very best for what I'm, what God called me to do? Am I doing my very best? It may not be the best, but is the best that I can do. I remember reading a book. Uh, how many of you are familiar with Bill Hybels? Maybe some of you are. Now I, I don't necessarily agree with Bill Hybels' theology, but he has an interesting book called Axioms of Leadership. And some of those, those are well worth reading, uh, a, a good deal of them, uh, taken in their context. And, and, and so he talks about the fact that being a head of a megachurch, which he still is, he says, I just can't do everything the best that it can ever be done, but I do the best that I can do. And, and then God works through me. So the important thing is, what we're given to God should be our best, holy, and acceptable. And then we get to the point where it says, uh, this is your spiritual worship. Now, this is an interesting line here. These two words, one of them is logikos. Or maybe it's, I might be, I might be scrambling that poor word. Uh, it's where we get the word logic from. And so, your spiritual worship is what is your logical conclusion, line of duty. Actually, with worship, it's the, it's the word called latpia, and it means actually duty of service. And so some of your books, your Bible, should have in there, I think New American Standard or American Standard Version has uh, your reasonable service, I believe, is how that's translated. And so it's a logical conclusion. It says if you... If you offer your body as a living sacrifice, and if you deem that what you're doing is holy and acceptable, this is reasonable. It's not like we're going over the top. It's what you're expected to do. This is what you need to do. And so as a person would bring a lamb for a sacrifice, and a priest there would look over the lamb, make sure it was the highest quality before they would accept it. And knowing that, that that may not be the top absolute grade A lamb, but it was the best that shepherd had. Or the, the whatever offering it would present was the best that they had. So now we go to Romans 2. So in 12.2, it gives us some conditions. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what the will is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now the the word conform I gotta really really look at this one. Shishkimatso. 
What that means is how we're, we're all somewhat pliable in our natures, right? And if you would look at it as what's molding you, is culture molding you or is the word of God molding you? Or you might look at another way. What is weaving your fabric? Is your fabric woven and colored by the, by the dictates of the world and what you see on TV and what uh, people think are expected of you? Or is your fabric molded by the word of God and the absolutes that we see in Scripture and the commands we see in Scripture? Knowing that we are at odds with the world in many ways, right? Because our worldview sometimes butts heads with the world's and the various worldviews that it represents. But we are commanded here. We have no choice, right? If we are believers, if we are following Christ, this is one of the imperatives of Scripture, not to be conformed to this world. Now, the world is not the word cosmos, It's the word aeon, which means age. And so it is the philosophical end of things. As I've said, it's a worldview thing. So that we are to be conformed to the worldview that the Bible generates. Do we have our own personal worldviews? Of course. Our background colors that. Our gender colors that. Even our race colors that, our ethnic background, our family colors that. What Even what is the, uh, the religious background of our family is all colored by that. Our personal experiences, our tragedies, our triumphs, all color our worldview. But then all that's molded, right? It's all molded by the Word of God, or should be molded by the Word of God. We're commanded to do that. And then it goes further on, it says, but be transformed. And of course, transform comes from the Greek word metamethyl, metamorphal, excuse me. And, and of course, we get that word, what, metamorphosis from that. So we are transformed into something unlike we were before. Now, I don't know if they still do this in grade school or junior high. Do they have sometimes, or can you remember... A, a glass jar where he had a caterpillar that formed a cocoon. Any of you remember watching something like that? And then what happens? What comes out is not what went in. It's just completely other. So you've got this warm thing that forms a cocoon, and out comes like a monarch butterfly or a swallowtail, you know, some beautiful creature that God's created. And, you know, that's a, a lot like we are, Right? We come into a relationship with Christ and we're ugly and tainted by sin. And then God cleanses us up and reforms us and we become a beautiful creature in his sight, right? Not that we're complete. We're, we're still flawed, right? We're still working on our flaws. But God's transformed us. And it's mostly the transformation we see is in the mind renewal. And the mind renewal then is uh, uh, the renewing, like we see in 2 Corinthians 4.16, Colossians 3.20. So in in 4.16 it says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
The renewal thing then is not also, it starts with a point in time, but it continues and it's progressive or should be progressive. So as we mature in Christ, we are the re- we are a cumulative result of God putting things into our lives to change and adapt and tweak and mold our character until when you get my age, hopefully God's done something with me, right? And a lot of us that are in our 60s and on up, that hopefully God's tweaked us to the point where it's noticeable. And, but we're still flawed, and we work on those flaws, as Paul said, until we die, until we become glorified in God. And that's our final result. In Colossians 3.10, it says, And we put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Further in, towards the second half in Romans 12, we say, we, we, we read here, that by testing... You may discern what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So the product of a transformed mind is that uh, we start being molded to the word of God. So a transformed mind is able to do that. Now, if one does not have God, one is outside of Christ, there's, this can't happen. They can try, they can adapt some of the principles, but without the aid of the Holy Spirit, we really can't do that. It's God who works through us to cause us to be transformed and to be molded. And then as we do that, as we're being tested, and as discerning results... then this is the will of God that we offer to him what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the second part of verse 2 has to do with as much our sacrifice as it is. It's God's expectation. So God has the standards of being good and acceptable and perfect. And we have the obligation to, as best we can, meet God's standards. And so we have philema, which means will, it means purpose, it means desire. And then before that, we have the word uh, dokomatso, which means to test, to find integrity, something to evaluate. And so that God looks, and as he looks at what we're giving him, he works through us to make us even better. So as we serve God, we kind of learn and we kind of experiment. And then he starts making us and refining us that we can come better to the point that we find that we are in some ways teachers. So say, for example, if you've got the gift of helps and you're doing all the things around the, the church it needs doing. Um, deacons, for example, uh, are strong with the, with, the work, with the gift of helps and, and other gifts. Because they're the nuts and bolts of ministry. They're what makes thing, make things happen. Um, and so as we do that, we find ourselves, what? Becoming 
maybe a leader in, 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 in a group of deacons, or being the head usher because you've experienced and you're training others who have those gifts to bring those up. And there's quite an art, as you all know, in ushering. We, we kind of think, you know, the background guys are the ones that hand out the bulletins and all that, but they do much more than that. And it's so important, I, I, I keep uh, talking to Daryl Holtrip and others, you know, I, I said, you know, that's a vital gift. Because th- some of these ushers are the first impression people happen to come to the door. How important is that? To be able to give them a great first impression. And so, I, I guess I would, I would request you get the habit of praying for our ushers along with other people because that's an, it's an important ministry. And then also, I don't know if you know it much, but they are also responsible for security. So they look for things that aren't quite out of in place. And even when uh, I hear a time you know, a while back, quite earlier this year, was it late, late last year, we had an individual that was kind uh, of give us some, some, uh, some trouble a little bit. And so the ushers were, were on that. So then... As we progress on, uh, the will of God is that he wants the good from us, the agathos, the good, gentle, the beneficial. The will of God is that our service be acceptable and well-pleasing. We've we've talked about that. The end result, then, is something that's good, acceptable, and perfect, the finished product. Um, What you see from me up here as I've prepared and got my outline researched and, and did all the stuff that's necessary. Um, I know I know that, that Pastor Davis told me that a lot of times it takes him twenty hours to prepare a sermon. Twenty hours for thirty minutes, forty minutes. And so it's just a huge amount of time it takes uh, to make to do something very well that we benefit from. As we look on then to 12.3, it says, For by the grace given me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And here is where we get into the specific grace and specific faith that God gives us to, to, uh, to accomplish what he wants us to do. The grace is the word charis. Uh, we get the word, I think, charismatic from that, from the gifts. And so grace and gifts are pretty close together in their meaning in the Greek. And so the grace, the favor that's given to me to operate. And then we have something here that is kind of a qualifier. Is that we have people, like if you're in the gift of leadership... And gift, uh, you have the gift of exhortation, the gift of teaching or preaching. Sometimes there's pride that comes into that. Like, well, I can do something a lot of people can't do. And we start getting this elevated thinking. And that's where we get the word hypoforeno, where this whole thing of 
thinking of himself more highly than he ought to think. That is actually squeezed into pretty much one word. And what it is elevated thinking. And so I, if I'm not careful, I could get this elevated thinking. And, and then you say, wait a minute. It didn't God give me this? I didn't do it. Didn't God give me the power to do this? I didn't do it. And and so you start thinking, well, okay, so I have this gift, and so I do this. But others also have gifts that are just as functional. So I have you ever imagined? I, I ever once why I okay, I'm a little bit strange this way. All right, uh, have you ever imagined? not having one of your arms. And have you ever tried to butt your shirt with only one arm? Have you ever tried to do that? And you're thinking, man, both my arms are pretty important to have. And some people don't. Some people through injury, uh, maybe um, they've been in war or they've had something that God's taken away, one of their arms or legs. And so you can't work as well, but you can still function. You can still work around that. But it's important. And so all the members of our body are important. And that's what Paul is trying to get at here too. It's all important. So every function in here is important. Ushers are important. Babysitters are important. Even the helpers that work in jam that do a function, that's all important. It makes it go. And so all the great programs that we see are the building blocks of people with the gifts that they're using to make these things happen that we enjoy and that our kids enjoy. And it's all orchestrated and all coordinated, or it should be. Um, and it's all integrated into a whole. And then you look at the other one, which is each according to the measure of faith. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself here. So a person ought to not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Now, sober judgment is a word called sulfuranin. So it's the same word as used in the hyperparental, but. Instead of the hyper in there, it's got S-O, which is what? Which the word Sophia from, which is wisdom. Or philosophy, the love of wisdom. So we have wise thinking rather than high thinking. And a wise thinking is where we need to be. For we realize what our function is and realize who God is. So as we go on then... In verse 4, says, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone... Oh, excuse me. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, let's go down and look at the total end of verse 3, where it says, Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And here's where we have... that we have this measure of faith. Our faith that God gives us, and the Holy Spirit and the grace God extends us, exactly match our spiritual gifts and abilities. So someone with a gift of giving has a certain faith attached to that that allows them to function in that manner. 
If you have the gift of mercy, then God attaches faith to that. That allows and grace that matches that gift. And so it's a particular thing. But as we're going to see in just a little bit here, our church as a whole also has a certain set of gifts that's fit for the ministry that God's assigned us to in this particular area around Everson. And so we have a particular purpose here. And we're filled with people that have a particular purpose. Now we're going to get into 4 and 5. For it says, For as one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body with Christ, and individually members one of another. So we have a single body, in its, in its unity, and we have many members. And then in the middle of this verse is that they don't all have the same function. The word function there is praxis, is the Greek word. And now you may have heard that word before in ministerial circles anyway. And that is the process of carrying things out. How do we carry out and it's much like, uh, I'm going like, to pick on Carmel. I don't know where, she, I don't see her right off bat. She's probably out there. I just don't see where she is. Anyway, Carmel has a certain function in the office, and she does, she's very efficient at doing that. And, and, and so she is particularly gifted for that job in that place. Jason on the piano has a set of gifts for that function. And there's leadership involved because he heads the worship team. And so there's that function. So God gives him everything he needs to do that. As we look then at Romans twelve six, this is having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And so the... Latter part of 12 down to 12.8, it talks about the various gifts. And he lists prophecy. Now, this is one of the more controversial ones. And if you look up in your commentary and you look up the definition of prophecy, you'll get chapters on how do we understand prophecy. Well, we know in the Old Testament... Prophecies were, prophets were special men ordained by God for a specific purpose of carrying the oracles of Israel, either blessing Israel or warning Israel that th- something's going to happen. But in our day and age, then, we could have that, that function not as somebody who's going to write Scripture because the book is closed, at least for now. And... I'm not sure how God's going to rewrite that in the millennial kingdom. We'll have to wait and see. But it's, the canon's closed. So what does that mean? Well, a prophecy would be one who has a special understanding of the Word of God, has a special, um, couldn't even incorporate uh, someone who is a visionary, who sees, okay, for example, what is the vision of Christ's fellowship? And they would 
they would help out and say, what, what, what do you see as our vision? And then he would share that with somebody and someone would say, well, yeah, that's true. Or, yeah, that looks good. Or, let's go with that. Or maybe not so much so. So those are the, that's, that's how the gift of prophecy is more played out. And then you have the gift of service, uh, which is the word uh, diakonos or diakonin. Deacon, right? And so many of our deacons have the gift of service where you go and, and, and you do the, the things that make a church go. Absolutely necessary to have them. And then you have one who encourages, uh, one to get the exhortation to come alongside. And there are special people that are good counselors that will say, you get, and they got the sense about people who are down and out or need encouragement, and they're just there doing that. Giving. Now, giving is kind of an interesting gift. And we always associate people who have the gift of giving with money. Not always so. Other things too. Or maybe even how to raise money. Or maybe even to how to allocate money. And, and so that gift's needed. Leadership. And it starts going down here and listing how you should do those. If giving generously. Leadership with zeal. Now, you can have, can you have a passive leader? You probably could, but it wouldn't be an effective leader, right? No, a leader is one that carries the flag, right? The leader is the one. You know what happens when you carry a flag in battle, right? You're a big target. And so you've got the, the good side is, you're rallying the troops, and they're following you. You've got the standard, and you're going with it. The other one is your target. So when you become a leader, the drawback is you also because you're willing. You've got to be willing to put your flak jacket on because you're going to get incoming. Mercy with cheerfulness. And so if you have the gift of mercy, part of that is, is like any other gift. We have to magnify God's love through it. And particularly with mercy, because people when see somebody with a gift of mercy, it's coming to help them or to console them. Then that has to have love attached to it, or that's the why. So as we move on, then the second part of what I want to do this morning is I would like to go through and review our mission statement and some of the other ones. You've probably seen some things hanging on the wall out here, like loving God and worshiping God. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack that too a little bit. So the mission of this church then is to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And that verse on, associated with that is Matthew 28, 18 to 20, which is the Great Commission, Right? That's the Great Commission. And then down from that, it says our vision, which is attached and supports the mission, is to be a high-commitment, high-grace family of Christ's followers, followers who strive to live gospel-driven and God-centered lives, equipped to reach our community and the nations with a saving message of the gospel. 
quite a bundle of stuff here. First of all, high commitment. So we're supposed to be committed. And that is letting your grace continue, right? Letting God work through you and continuing to use your gifts. High commitment, high grace. We're relying on God's, God's power. If, if it were not for God's power, you'd never see me up here. Nor would you see Pastor Dave or anybody else that, that stands up here and talks. But then again, you wouldn't see anybody else either doing there as God's gifted them. You wouldn't see a music team. You wouldn't see Jason at the piano without the power of grace. This wouldn't happen. And you wouldn't see a church without the power of grace. So the vision is high commitment, high grace, Christ followers, living gospel-driven and God-centered lives. And that we are equipped to reach the community and the nations with the saving message of the gospel. That's why we have Veritas. That's why we have Iron Men. That's why we have the ladies' studies. It's all because we're trying to equip. That's why we have Jam. We're equipping too. They're equipping them down there in Jam. They're equipping them in the two and three-year-olds just starting out. They're getting equipped all along the process. So when you get up into even grade school, it can be effective. And use your spiritual gifts and proclaiming the gospel of Christ. So now, apart from that, or added to the vision statement is some visionary incentives or initiatives that I think the Strategic Planning Committee in particular has developed. And so we see out on various walls, we see one sign that says loving God. And under that, then, we're loving God by gathering to worship God in spirit and truth. We're loving God by engaging in a radical God-centeredness that permeates everything we say and do. We're loving God by listening to and responding to bold preaching. We're loving God by contributing cheerfully and regularly to the financial support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, and the spread of the gospel throughout all nations. We're loving God by being built up in the Christian faith and walking in the fear of the Lord, by expecting spiritual and numerical growth. Further, we're loving God by participating in the two ordinances, namely baptism and the Lord's Supper. Supper. We're loving God by praying together with the saints, not with the saints, but here, right, with the saints, with the ones that are set apart for a purpose, by celebrating the gospel with other believers, by glorifying God, the God of the universe. The second missionary incentive, then, is learning truth. Again, this is the reason we have Veritas, Iron Men, Ladies Bible Studies, Educating the mind with the external, eternal, excuse me, educating the mind with the eternal truths of God's word and saturating each student with Christian worldview. Engaging the affections so that each student might passionately pursue God in all its glory. Equipping the whole person so that each student becomes a healthy, mature believer. Encouraging God-centered living, which results in life transformation whereby each student 
will pursue a lifestyle of holiness and intention, intentionally share the love of Christ with the lost. Third one, sharing life. Loving one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, battling unbelief together, admonishing one another, caring for one another, serving one another, confessing sins to each other. Now, that's got to be done in a certain context, but uh, we've done that in small groups, sometimes in larger groups. Serving people, sharing God-given spiritual gifts, and using those gifts to minister to God with God's grace to people. Embracing the kingdom mentally that incarnates the life of Christ to people. Proclaiming the kingdom priorities of Christ. Meeting the needs of the people for the glory of God. Evangelizing the nations so that the nations might be glad all to the glory of God. So these are the fruits of vision. And these are the fruits of those people who use their spiritual gifts. And so, again, what are, what are we here for? What are we doing that would bring God's pleasure? Let's pray. Father God, again, help us, Lord, to, to see how we might bring you honor and glory. How we might serve you. Where is it that we find ourselves going? What have you called us to do that you have equipped us ever since we were born and all the things that you have confronted us with and all the people that we meet that have influenced us? What would you have us to do, Lord? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.